Let's talk JMMA with Charlie Jewett from Sogo-Kaku.com. This is a podcast about the deep end of Japanese combat sports scene. I'm your host, Shu Hirata from On the Road Management. Now, let's begin. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Shu, how you doing? Good, good, how are you? Doing pretty good. All right, so let's dive into the first subject, which is they announced the Rising 28 additional cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think I was a bit surprised that Mikuru has accepted the fight against Clever Koike. That was kind of like a, I thought they were going to give him not that fight first, but. Right, how you are. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it seems like, uh, what was Mikuru said? He just wants to kind of skip. It seems like he's like in a rush kind of. He wants to skip that step and go right to the Cloike fight and then back to the title fight. Sure. And I think it only possible. made sense. I think, I think their management made the right decision in the sense that if you're really going to lose the fight, it's better to lose against the toughest guy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lose to Hagiwara would be bad because he's such a raw fighter at this point. Right, right. So it's just a more risk. I mean, I think Mikuru would kill him, but that doesn't really give him any big push anyway. You know? Did you see the... I think one of his sponsors is actually like a home manufacturer. Yeah, I saw and that. They're, they're actually like selling Mikuru-designed homes now. Yeah, with a personal training center. And I think there's two barbecue spaces and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's kind of fun to see these homes, yeah. To see well, the unique sponsorships that are kind of coming out. Well, here's what it is. His management, I mean, his, I mean, his Triforce Akasaka is owned by a lawyer named Mr. Hori. And he does do well on the real estate investment right. field as well so i could see why they're getting that kind of sponsorship right i mean yeah and let's see how much homes they're gonna sell (laughs) right yeah because i think there's something like a hundred of them it was like some crazy number it was like a hundred houses seemed like a lot how many how much per house though i mean i I I don't see prices okay i don't see all right so um, besides uh, i think many people were surprised that keramov and musaev is coming or coming to the Rising. Yeah, I kind of saw this one coming just because Musayev was tweeting more and more about Rising. Yes. And he's kind of tweeting more and more about like Japan as well. Mm-hmm. And his uh, management group was also tweeting about it. Right. And um, this seems like something that Sakaki Barasan has been working for for a long time. Long time, actually. Now yeah. I can finally reveal that when they received the email say their visa got approved, which was actually a little while ago, like a month and a half or so, I was happened to be on the phone with Mr. Kashiwagi, the matchmaker. Okay. And he was like, oh, we just received an email. I'm like, oh, that's great. So I knew it that they got approved. But right mm-hmm. after that, they got into state of emergency and stuff like that. So got a little worried, but I think their visa got through, right? Obviously. So Yeah, because, I mean, I remember um, in the article where they talk about why they couldn't find, we'll talk about this later, but why they couldn't find Rena an opponent, he kind of, alluded to the fact that it took so much time just to get Musayev's visa that there's no way that they could get another foreign fighter in the country oh yeah in right. the short amount of time that it took like months to get his exactly so right now it, i think they only concentrate on that two fighters yeah. from the same country which only well, makes sense you know and Musayev's a big deal i don't quite understand why he's so beloved over here like why he's so popular but i mean my wife's friends, like one of them, like messaged her, like she thought she was gonna cry when she saw that he was gonna be on the card. So, him being know. on it's a big deal. 
Yeah, I mean, they like his fight styles, and maybe from the country that he's from, he's not so familiar with a lot of people. So maybe he has the same sense that fans had against Miyoko Krokop first when he was yeah. still emerging. So it's the same kind of thing, I think, you know? Now, um, it was part of that super exciting tournament, and just everyone loved that tournament. So the winner yeah. of that's naturally going to be a big deal. Exactly. And Mikuru Asakura apparently said that if Saito loses to Keramov, he should Saito should be relinquishing his title. And I believe Saito laughed in response to that and said he would say that. Right, right, right. <laughs> now, however, I mean, don't you think there's a big possibility that Saito might lose this fight? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the opponent, he looks really strong. I mean, he's got a good record. and But he's fought in Bellator once before, I believe, as well. Mm -hmm. So he's fought some high-level competition. Yes. And Saito hasn't been as active as some of the other rising fighters recently. Sure. And it was a close fight against Mikuru. And even against Majima, he lost the first round, clearly. So it's right. like he's a dominating champ, you know, not to give him any disrespect or anything, you know? Yeah. In hindsight, I actually thought that Mikuru almost was essentially won that fight. I was kind of surprised mm -hmm. that Mikuru lost that fight, mm -hmm. especially with the way that rising scores where, I mean, Mikuru was the closest to finishing the fight. Right, and, and he ended fight. it very dominantly. Sure, and they they emphasize more on damages, right? Yeah, exactly. So that too. But yeah, it was close. It could have gone either way. But anyway, so yeah, so if the Karamov were to beat Saito, do you think he should relinquish title, even though Saito it's, probably won't? I mean, it comes to like a a weird belief of mine where I don't like non-title matches. Mm -hmm. Like there's a there's a pro to them, but the negative is like once your champion loses, the title kind of loses its meaning. Right, right. But um, I understand that they're doing it because I believe, is this his second fight for Ryzen? Yes. So, but. So it's not like I mean, a profound impact on the fans or anything like that. He's just teammate yeah. of the fight, basically, you know? My thought is like, since it's not a non-title title fight, all that means is if Saito loses, then they have to give the guy an automatic rematch for the title. Sure, right. So my thing is they're probably hedging their bet. They probably want Saito to win. And this is their way of making sure that, or there's like a contract issue. Do you think it's because he signed Bellator that there might be an issue with that? I don't really think so because it seems like Rising and Bellator also in a good relationship, obviously allowing uh, Horiguchi to have a double titles, right? So yeah. I don't think that would be a problem with the Keramov. But I think but, in the Japanese MMA, non-title fight by the champion are pretty common. Yeah, it's very common. As a management point of view, I do not like that at all because sometimes promoters use that as an excuse to postpone their championship clause. Basically saying like, oh, we'll get your title fight like 11 months later. But I can make you active with this non-title fight. It makes zero sense to me. You know, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. I will say though, like, I, I mean, Saito has a really good, I mean, Saito's opponent, I feel like has a really good chance of winning. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was looking over his record today. Well, he hasn't lost since 2015. Mm -hmm. And he beat uh, was it Kyle Aguan, Miyamoto's husband, right. who's a pretty solid fighter. So yeah. I mean, he's looking very good. He's, he's looking very good. So he's going to have a very good wrestling base. Yes. And I feel like that might be a weakness of a lot of high-level Japanese MMA fighters mm -hmm. is that the wrestling kind of aspect of the game. Sure. I mean, there's obviously the exceptions like the Olympic athletes and wrestling, but I feel like in general, wrestling is kind of a weakness. It is in overall for sure, right? So yeah. I think that's the part that you know. Hey, you know, it might have a big problem, right? 
mean, I mean, just look at what his teammate did. Look at Musayev uses his wrestling and absolutely destroys everybody. So, mm -hmm. Right. It's a, and yeah. how do you see him in fight against Souza going? That's going to be an inaugural lightweight championship title fight, right? Talk about fight that's impossible to predict. Yeah. Uh, so she's only lost one fight. So she's only lost one fight, and it was like a weird injury. Like he got punched, and it damaged his orbital right. bone. Right. But then Musaya fought Johnny Case as well and destroyed him, beat him up pretty badly. Mm -hmm. So that, that's their one mutual opponent. But, I mean, Satoshi's already kind of outperformed what I thought his potential was. Okay. Because they kept showing these videos, and I was under the impression that he was just only training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at his own gym. Mm -hmm. He didn't seem that serious about MMA. But now he appears to be actually training with a bunch of kickboxers as well. He thinks that he trains with uh, Shrek and some former shoot boxing and K1 stars. So his striking has got to get better. And I mean, he hasn't, like besides that one fluke loss, he's never really looked like he's been dominated. And so- being Actually all the wins he had so far, he's been dominating the opponent. Basically. Yeah. Right. And if he gets Musayev down, like there's no denying that Satoshi is extremely dangerous on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so if he gets it down, he could finish anybody. Oh yeah, of course, exactly. So that's my point. Yeah. He's sort of like a Yahia, right? If you get to the right yeah. position, you will finish. But yeah. I, I have a feeling it's gonna it's gonna be very tough because Musaif's wrestling and boxing skills yeah. are very yeah. good. Very good. You know, the only thing that the I think the timing benefits Satoshi mm -hmm. that Musaif. I mean, he was in the military. He was about to go to war. And maybe MMA training hasn't been on the top of his priority list recently. And he hasn't fought yeah. in a while. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the perfect timing if you're Satoshi to fight someone of that level, if that makes sense. That makes sense, right. But at the same time, you know, I think they're experienced enough. So these little yeah. uh, between the fights, I think he should be able to handle it. And uh, so, I mean, Rising could lose two of their stars on the one night. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Plus, I mean, actually, three in total. They, I mean, I'm not saying this is not my prediction, but I mean, Kuru could lose, Saito could lose, right? And, you know, Rafael Souza could lose. That's three of their one of the big stars there. Yeah, but I feel like Satoshi's division isn't really a division they're concentrating on right now. Right. It's not really developed heavily. Right. Know? So, I mean, if Musayev leaves, it won't be that big of a deal either because, I mean, I think Satoshi is placing against other people and build them back up pretty quickly. They probably will, because that's my another question, too, because if the Musayev win this one, became a champion, let's see how many more fights he has to take in Rising before he actually really accepts the offer from UFC. I mean, wasn't it? I thought it seemed like before the title fight that he was going to leave. He was going to leave, right. Right, and then something happened where he stayed, which I feel like Rising must have made an offer or done something to incentivize him to stay. Right. But right now, I'm pretty sure they will put a, some type of championship clause where at least he probably have to take one title defense. I'm only guessing, yeah. you know, but but then that means is after he if he wins this one and if he take one more title fight in New Year's Eve, but he could be in the UFC next year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Plus, so, I mean, he's got some international support as well. I remember when he joined the military, I was mm -hmm. seeing like MMAfighting.com and other sources reporting on it. So. He's a hot prospect. People over there are aware of him. Yeah, exactly. So he is actually one of the hot prospects, right? That right. I think so-called North American UFC fans are really looking oh, at. Yeah. yeah. Plus so, he's got the Khabib connection. So. Right. 
And another fight announced, which I don't know if you want to talk so much about it, was Sudari Otsuyoshi against Shibisai, which I, I, I guessed that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the only fight that makes sense that they could make. Right, because there's nobody else, really. Yeah, and, um, you know, you might as well call this, like, what is this? This is, like, Sudario's first actual MMA fight? Yes. Almost. And is, <laughs> yeah. And this is the only guy that's, like, legitimately had MMA fight experience. Sure. And isn't 50 years old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so, yeah, exactly. That's why I hope uh, Sudario will prove that. I think he's actually could turn out to be a pretty good, decent prospect. Yeah, and I hate to say it, but heavyweight is not the most deepest division. <laughs> no, I could actually picture him in UFC maybe a year or two years later, actually, if he keeps going at this pace. Well, I mean, UFC heavyweight division is like the worst it's ever been. Yeah, in my opinion, it's just like a bunch of old fossils, right? And right. some young guys. And if you can string a couple of KOs together, I mean, they might come knocking to bring you in. Almost yes. immediately. Why not? I mean, in today's UFC, especially heavyweight, if he's like five and zero, oh, yeah. four KO wins, that will get him in. I mean, Plus, I'm not saying that for sure, but it would probably will, you know. Plus, he's half Japanese, half Filipino. If they want to go over to the Asian markets, slap him on a card. Right there, you go. And no, they are always. I think I know for the fact they're always thinking about the Asian market too. But they just exactly. right. They're just not like rushing into it. But obviously, they're bringing a lot of the graduate from UFCPI Shanghai, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. and, you know, you still see, you know, Thailand fighters and a couple of them. Coming. I was actually talking about this fight earlier today. I'm kind of interested in it because Sadario's first MMA fight against the pro wrestler, the guy from New Zealand, I believe, mm -hmm. he didn't actually knock the guy out. First off, that opponent didn't look like he trained for the fight <laughs> and he quit between the rounds. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of fought these two like kind of freak show fights. Right more like pro wrestling matches. So I think this fight will be a, a good indicator of where he actually is. I really think so too. And yeah. in the full ones gloves, if you hit squarely on your chin, you could yeah. drop anybody. But again, Musai is much more tougher and experienced in inside the boxing to all kinds of shit. Right? So we'll see, you know? Now, yeah. speaking of rising, I wanted to talk to you about this rising preparation video. Uh, they oh, yeah. it, right? and it's uh, it's the uh, what is it? Uh, Mr. Sakakibara went to visit uh, Dana White in the UFC yes. headquarters. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, did you see this one? I did. I thought it was kind of weird the order they released these videos in because uh -huh. it they released this. It, the events in this video appear to have happened before he met with Horiguchi. Yeah, that's true. Right, but yeah. they released the Horiguchi video first, so I thought that was kind of weird, but. Yeah, right. so I think in this video, he visits uh, Steve Aoki, another DJ. I think his name was um, no, actually, or something. Credit. I don't, is he a DJ? Because I, I, I didn't know anything about this. I have no idea. I just, he has I, to be in the music industry or something. He must be, right? But when I checked his Instagram and stuff, it seems like he does some business seminars that builds your credit and stuff like that. So he's more like a financial advisor. Really? Yeah, and he's like 23 years old, financial advisor. Now Steve Aoki and blah blah blah. And you know, Sakakabra kept talking about you know bringing in music or creating a different yeah. kind of event. I mean, I hate to say this, but is Steve Aoki even known in Japan? No, I mean, I don't think he is. Um, my my wife, her friends, none of them have any idea who he is. I would say that my impression would be, I think his sister is more famous in Japan. 
Oh, Devon Allen. Was, right. Yeah. She was like a famous model and she was an actress in like uh, Sin City and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But and then like my wife had heard of the restaurant Benihana's, which his father started. But I don't think Steve Aoki is that big unless yeah, you're Rocky, into EDM Rocky, music. Yeah, Rocky Aoki is the name of the father who started Benihana chain mm -hmm. in the US. And uh, yeah, he's actually more famous in the Japanese society than probably Steve Aoki. You know? Oh yeah, everyone I know that knows who that knows Benihana, they don't know Steve Aoki. <laughs> but, I actually happen yeah. to know Mr. Rocky Aoki, and and he passed away already. And his mm -hmm. current wife, Miss Keiko, who he was his last wife to go for a lot of some businesses, and uh, there's nothing to do with MMA, but she yeah. ended up suing everybody except Steve Aoki and Devon Aoki. <laughs> which is an interesting story, you know. But anyway, so Steve Aoki. I mean, I'm sorry about this. I don't go to clubs. I don't really know too much about EDM music. Yeah. How big is he in states? Considering yeah. like global effect, like the Isakaguba has kept talking about rising being global. And I mean, I know who he is. Like I'm aware of who he is. So okay. he has a name recognition. I'm not in the. I don't follow EDM music, so I know who he is, which makes me think. He's a household name, at least to some extent. Okay. But I haven't heard of anything him doing anything recently. Mm -hmm. So I feel like he was a lot bigger. I think, and I may be speaking completely out of turn, but mm -hmm. I feel like he's kind of already had his high peak. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. This is one somebody that uh, Steve Elke is famous among Indian fans. Party people knows him. I'm pretty sure, right? And he used to come to Japan twice a year before oh, pandemic. Interesting. Right, so he does have the market to bring in actually a different fans into the sports, right? Because I mean, I imagine there is an EDM scene in Japan, and so this will be great to get them involved. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how big the EDM scene is. Yeah, yeah, I, I have no idea. I don't listen to that kind of that yeah. music. So, but yeah, sure. I mean, now the, the, let me ask you this: from watching this video, there's a couple interesting I realized. I don't know if you realize, but Sakakiba keeps talking about his dream or goal is to retire when he's like 60. Right. He's seven now. And he's kept talking about two, three years, maybe five years less. I pass the torch to the next person to run rising. Right. And obviously that person looks like it has to be Mr. Kashiwagi, who is with him in this video. Yeah, Shingo. Shingo, right. And a lot of people in North American fan maybe doesn't know this, but he used to work for King of the Cage. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people... So he maybe Shingo, maybe the person, fans, real hardcore JMMA fans, maybe start looking into it because yeah. he may be taking over, who knows, right? Five years later. And he speaks perfect English because I think he was born and raised in little outside Chicago. He does all of the he does the English translations for all of their videos. Yes. On the YouTube channel. So mm -hmm. and you know, I hope this will actually happen because Shingo to me is one of the guys in Japanese MMA who actually values more competition side of MMA rather than yeah. entertainment side. But right now, well, that's kind of an interesting point of this conversation he's having right now is he talks about how he wasn't involved with Dreen or Sengoku. Mm -hmm. And so he doesn't know what happened with those, but those organizations were just really misled and they kept trying to be something they couldn't be and they fell apart. Yeah, they kept trying to be like a pride. Yeah. You know, just, I think it's like same thing because back then, you know how they can like Sengoku convinced Don Quixote to cough up a lot of millions of dollars because they were, the, their pitch was like, oh, you can be like pride. At okay. the end, you can turn around and sell it, maybe, you know? Yeah, I think Sakakibar even said like they were just fighting the ghost of pride. 
Exactly. He, I think yeah. he was right on the money. I think because that's what, just like right now, I'm pretty sure, let's say, I'm, I'm not saying this like in a bad way, but let's say if you're PFL or any promotions who's tried to raise money through the investors, I'm pretty sure they mention UFC, right? Oh, successful UFC. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Of so they will mention, they'll mention how much it's sold for. Exactly. All of that. It's the yeah. same thing they did back then, but I guess they didn't work. And I, I'm pretty sure Sakakiba was never involved because it was never really allowed to involve because of a non-compete, right? Clause right. he had in the contract. But again, Dream was ran by Mr. Kato, which was Sakakiba's right-hand man in pride. Right. So, you know, of course he was not involved, but he probably heard all the mistakes, all the plus things, that, you know, good things they did. So. Also, um, how do you think that meeting like, why do you think Dana White took the meeting with Sakaki Barra? Just because he respected pride? Yeah, I think so. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I was pretty surprised too, but that's a long time he sat. And and I hate to tell this, I don't want to, I have to mention this, but I hope he takes the meeting with Mr. Diego Sanchez when he calls. Because <laughs> yeah. I saw the video of Sanchez crying, say that he, he tried to get a meeting with Dana for two years and couldn't get it. Well, yeah. Sakaki Barra got it. <laughs> so... Which just tells me that he's calling the wrong people, probably. Right, I think so too. But anyway, to go back, I think maybe it makes sense because there's one thing about UFC and Zufa. You know how they've been trying to do Zufa boxing for a while? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, I hate to say this, but Mayweather versus Tenshin sort of created this trend of exhibition bouts in boxing. Yeah. And so it's kind of beneficial, right, for Dana to keep in touch with Sakibara. Why not? Right. Because that's yeah. something that they could cooperate in the future of establishing you know behind the scenes it seems like mayweather was actually what set this meeting up Mm -hmm. because when they do this meeting they actually met once before this meeting at the restaurant where floyd mayweather just had dana white come over randomly and that's where they took that picture together sure and so i mean it's all i mean it just seems to be floyd mayweather set this all up for Strucky Barham. exactly and they flew together to miami as i we talked about it so you know Probably maybe even you know, Logan Paul or who knows. Well, right? they, in, the, in the preview for the next video, Logan Paul is in it. So at the end of this preparation video, they show that the next video will have Logan Paul in it. Yeah, so, I mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I can't really talk about it because I know a lot of things about that. Because since no, but, I mean, getting- people, people have noticed the Twitter and the Instagram photos of Logan Paul in the Rising Boxing Gloves. And right. now he's in this video. I mean, he's signed with Showtime, so we don't know what capacity he's involved. Exactly, but that's the point. He's signed with Showtime, but again, Showtime also air Bellator, so there got to be some line of communication they can open and talk about the possibilities. You know. Yeah. Now, I just want to mention this: that many of the Japanese so-called fans, Japanese fans, are actually hoping, oh, maybe this meeting will create the uh, chances that maybe there's going to be a UFC versus Rising kind of stuff. You know, never, never, and, never happen. No, it would never happen. Even like. You remember Chattori tweeted it a couple of weeks ago about one welcome that you know yeah. with uh but you know people I'm have to sure realize, would. <laughs> yeah I mean Endeavor just did the IPO. They're a public company now. They're not gonna do anything, they're not even allowed to do anything wild, right? I mean, I should say so even beforehand though, UFC was not they very clear they do not co-promote. No UFC cares about the UFC and building right. their brand. At this point it's almost like if they did an event versus another promotion, it's almost the acknowledging 
that that promotion is on the same level as them? Exactly. That's my point. Because in this conversation, yeah. Dana said there's only two brands was established in the combat history, history of combat sports, which is UFC and Pride. So he right. basically said like Strike Force or WFA or WC they bought was not a real quote unquote established brand, brand, right? So doesn't he famously have a tombstone in his office with the names of all the promotions he destroyed? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, also, I was just hoping the one thing that annoyed me on a personal level was Dana White was obsessed with you should, I should fight in a cage, you should fight in a cage. And as a spectator, I much prefer the ring. If you go to a live event, a mm -hmm. ring is just so much easier to watch. You, you know, like I, I'm not really sure about that because at the beginning I felt the same way back in the prior days. Yeah. But when you really watch a live sports, it's hard to see it anyway from <laughs> some seats and stuff like that. Yeah. So it doesn't really make a big difference. And actually, Dream used to uh, use a white cage. Remember? Yeah, but didn't they use like fishing nets? It was like yeah, a really yeah. weird cage. They made that white cage very nicely with the. Yeah. I, it may be okay, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, uh, but I like the the ring. Time, I think Sakakiba seems like he's insisting on ring, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's, he's well, not that was a smart page at all, right? It was a smart branding point because he was just like, "Why would we try to copy you? We can't be you." That's true. And the ring helps set us apart as. And uh, you made a good point that the ring allows them to do the boxing and the kickboxing as well. Exactly. And the ring is ring and happens in the boxing or kickboxing, as you say. So it, it's a legitimate platform of combat sports, right? It's nothing yeah. new, like all this weird promotion tried a few times, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So this was kind of. And do you think uh, many so called hardcore Japanese MMA North American fans are catching this uh, videos? I don't I mean, I don't know what the view count of this video is. Was it down there? 90,000 views? 90,000, yeah. I, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. Too bad, though, because for hardcore fans, I think it's somehow it's pretty interesting, right? Well, as for hardcore fans, it's like some of the best behind-the-scenes content. Exactly. And the Rising Confession videos are very good as well. Right. I mean, just to mention, I have to mention, they, they released the preparation video for Naoki Inoue a day before this. and Yeah. Yeah, and he's getting almost the same view, 100K and stuff like that. So, this so Mitsugaki owned that bicycle shop? No, he's actually a full-time employee hired by oh. the bicycle shop. And uh, let me tell you this. I mean, for hardcore fans, maybe this is interesting, but this is not a regular bicycle shop. They only uh, handle real high-end bicycle, like a racing bicycle. Mm -hmm. And they also own a maintenance company that specializing in high-end supercars. Oh, wow. So, yeah, they're, they're not just a bicycle shop. They're a very established, pretty big corporation, and they're actually one of the Naoki sponsors as well, just so you know. Interesting. Well, I mean, yeah. the training video, he looked very strong. So <laughs> oh, it's yeah. kind of fun to see Mizugaki joke around with him, telling him. Oh, well, and, and of course, Mizugaki's retired, but you saw how Naoki was like, kind of dominating Mizugaki on yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's very hungry, right? All right, so but let's talk about this another subject which is has related to rising, which is Rena not yeah. fighting in Tokyo Dome. Now, tell us what's going on there. In okay, so it's kind of a weird happening where if you if you're on Twitter at all, you might have seen some pictures of what looks mm -hmm. like an advertisement on a train, okay, and is advertising the Tokyo Dome and had a picture of mm -hmm. all the big stars that were going to be on the card. 
Yeah, I saw that. And yeah. Rena is one of them. She's one the only female on there. It's like Tenshin, right. Rena, Asakura. And these are the people they need to sell the tickets. Right. And then it becomes quite clear that this is going to be on Fuji TV. Yes. And Fuji TV is not going to air the entire event. I no. think as they're of now, they're only showing two fights live. That's it. Everything yeah, is they're only showing Tenshin and Asakura. Probably because that's what they put on the advertisement too. Only Tenshin and Asakura brothers. But if they had had Rena on the card, it's pretty obvious that she would have been on Fuji TV as well. Exactly. Now, but Rena tweeted that, you know, she sort of implied there was some fight in place oh. that it, it didn't go, work well. And so this is where like, the beauty of the screenshot comes in because okay. Rena was actually on her Instagram story complaining about this. Okay. So she first posted on her Instagram stories an all black post that said, I've been training and focusing really hard on this. Is this what's going to happen? Like question mark, question mark. And then her next post is just, well, I've been dieting up till now. If this isn't happening, I'm just going to quit my diet and start eating. And then the next post is just her out eating with Emmy Fujino. And it, she had like a hashtag. We're having a complaining competition, complaining competition. Yes, yes. Yes. And so, so it's obvious, right? Because she knew she was sort of a confirmed fight. It didn't work and got canceled or something like that, you know? So what seems obvious to me is that she had an opponent. My theory, mm -hmm. there was an opponent in mind. Negotiations were happening. And something happened where this fighter decided, no, not taking the fight. Right. Now, who do you think that fighter would be? This would be a total guessing game here because... Exactly. I, yeah. I, so I want to say... I probably couldn't find that if I called the trainer, Ade, or you yeah. know, stuff like that. I didn't. So, who do you think she was supposed to fight? I'll give you three. I'll give you my three guesses, uh -huh. and um, two of them are realistic. Third is just what I think would be awesome. Okay. And so, first one, Siwoo Park. Okay. Yeah. Deep Jewels got pushed back, uh -huh. and I think dirt, when it got pushed back initially, the thought process was. She's 48 kilo. She is associated with Ham Sohi. She's looking very good in Deep Jewels. Mm -hmm. Push her up, have her fight Rena at Rising, and then have her come back down to Deep Jewels and do Deep Jewels and Rising. Now, doesn't she live in Japan now or went back to Korea after the fight? Because She's still in Japan. She's right. here on a visa, and she lives with her boyfriend, her boyfriend, right. Seigo Yamamoto. Yeah. So it's not like there's a travel issues or any visa issues nope. or corona issues and stuff like that. I, think I was speaking to Saiki at a Deep Jewels show a couple of days, a couple months ago, last year actually, when she won the, it wasn't even the tournament hadn't started yet. She beat Saudi Oshima in kind of a pre preliminary fight. Mm -hmm. And I was just asking like, is she going back to Korea? Because I mean, you risk her not being able to come back for the tournament. Right. And that's where it came out that, Oh no, she's staying here. Like her boyfriend's got her boyfriend's got a place. She's right. training full time with Miyu Yamamoto, so she's been here the whole time. Right. So yeah, yeah, I know for the fact that uh, she signed the multi-year deal with Deep too, which will allow her to fight in Rising. So I think yeah. yeah, that's actually a very good guess. And now, what's who's your second guess? Uh, Miyu Yamamoto rematch. Yeah. All right. Now, is she still in Japan, or was able to go back to Canada, where wherever she is, with a uh, Husband? Unconfirmed, but I am more certain that I'm not certain that she's still in Japan. 
All right. So she could, again, no visa issues or no pandemic or no travel right. issues, right? Okay. Which that one makes sense to me just because of the, uh, Rena was started training at Miata gym mm -hmm. and she was working on her wrestling a lot. Makes sense. Yeah. Which makes me think, and plus the first Miyamoto fight was I think both of their pro debuts in MMA. Okay. And so, I mean, they're at completely different stages. They both have giant names associated with them and so it's just gold for fuji tv to get people to tune in mm. yeah i mean miyamoto she's in japan it makes sense because I, I i understand that she was supposed to go back because of some uh i think she was in the process of applying for green card and yeah she made a mistake mistake of she not right she didn't ask her attorney something she kind of got stuck in japan and so she's been kind of rebuilding she's been actually Sibu park's main training partner in mm. japan well, I'm, you know, I'm an expert on this green card thing because <laughs> I'll tell this, I'll reveal this to everybody here that I was married three times and I probably had a green card for all my three ex-wives. So sometimes <laughs> out of a drunkenness, I call myself a walking green card provider. <laughs> when you apply for green card, you immediately get this work permit because then you are allowed to work because you can't be sitting around, right? Mm -hmm. So my first guess to me, you probably didn't get that for some reason. Yeah, Japan. And the well, second, me is me is kind of confusing, right? Because I don't think she's a Japanese citizen anymore. I think she's a Canadian citizen who's getting her green card to live in Guam, which is a U.S. territory. U.S. territory, right? So exactly. I think she gave up her Japanese citizenship to wrestle for the Canadian Olympic wrestling team. Ah, so she's not a Japanese citizen anymore. Did you think, think she, she gave up? I think she's a Canadian citizen. Uh, well, here's what it is, though. I mean, I'm not sure about the Canadian law, but if you're American, you're allowed to be a dual citizen. Right. So you could have a both Japanese and U.S. citizenship. And, right. you know, unless if you compete for Olympics like Naomi Osaka, you will not be forced to give up one because there's no mm -hmm. penalty for not giving up. So, yeah, so I, I'm surprised. So, yeah, I guess I thought first I thought that maybe there's a green card issues and stuff like that. Maybe there's a problem. But I think the issue was that with whatever process she was going through, she couldn't just leave the country and come back in. Yeah. I mean, what it is is like you had to, well, before that you had to get the special visa to leave the country and you have to have a good legit reasons like your parents, you know, somebody died in your family. But in her case, the professional fighter. So if she talked to the lawyer beforehand, did everything what she's supposed to do, you shouldn't have any problem, you know, but well, my, my thought process, I'm more of an amateur on this than you is that, if she if she was in the United States on like a tourism visa mm -hmm. and then tried to change her visa status while she was in the U.S., yes, you can do that. It, it makes it way more difficult to leave and come back, though. Not really, actually. Without you have to give you have to write for permission in advance, though. Yes, you have to. You used to beforehand, but now the law has changed. Oh, really? You do not have to get those special. Visa, okay. yeah. So right now, as long as she had that work permit and everything else did according to the book, she, if she had probably had the work visa at the airport to present it, she probably made it back actually. <laughs> you know? but, but I don't know if she's back, but I think she's still in Japan. Right. Now, if she's still in Japan, no problem. That's why maybe Rainer complained that, oh, how come she's not fighting? And then I thought about it. I hear the rumors that she's actually trying to rebuild Crazy B, the team Crazy B. That's what I've noticed. Um, just looking from the outside, mm -hmm. she's been using her time well in Japan. Crazy B, the gym had kind of fallen in ill repair. All their famous fighters, well, I mean, hyperbole, hyperbole. Most of their famous fighters left 
Yep. And she's been rebuilding the gym, getting everything back going. Her son, I think also, or Arson is also like a manager there or coach there as well. Yep. But so now they have Itsuki, Harata, they have Siwoo Park. And so they've got a nice little women's team building and they've got some young male talent as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm, I'm, my guess is, my second guess is, if it was me, Yamamoto, and if it was her that who kind of rejected after she's verbally said okay, is because maybe she's too busy building the team. That's why well, Reina kind of complained. What kind yeah. of reason is that kind of thing, right? <laughs> well, also, didn't she have like an injury or something relatively recently? Well, yeah, that could be another yeah. reason, right? But my uh, dream, my third option, by the way, was uh, mm-hmm. Erica Kamimoto versus Reina uh, in an MMA fight. Yeah, yeah, would be the diehard fan dream because Reina Erica Kamimoto has pictures have emerged of her playfully training MMA with Emmy Fujino. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's been wearing 1FC open finger gloves, training with Itsuki Hirata, Rin Nakai. And so maybe she's getting more interested in MMA. Who knows? But Yeah. Well, because as well, people, for people that aren't familiar, Rena and Erika Kanemoto are big rivals. And yes. it's probably safe to assume that they strongly dislike slash hate each other. I think <laughs> so. Yeah. Right. So, so that I, would be a big fight. And that will bring actually a lot of kickboxing fans too. You know, besides That's Rise, I mean, Rising ha- already has the relationship with Rise. Mm-hmm. So that might have been what brought that in. But that was just more of a, that's really far-fetched, but right. it's kind of a fun theory. But the bottom line now is that Reina is not fighting. And although yeah. the Akibara said they told me all MMA, he's putting a uh, tension. Now, what do you Has think? This is, yeah, tension, Nascala, one against three. Has to put him on. <laughs> Has to have him on the card. Right, I think I'm pretty sure Fuji Television say you must. Yeah, I mean they're not going to air one fight. Right, and originally that June 13 spot was reserved for Tenshin versus Takeru. Right. No, that's why they got that slot for the Fuji Television and Tokyo Dome to begin with. So I think it was almost like a mandatory to get this guy in there. They've got no Rena. They've got no Horiguchi. Uh They've got no Kana Asakura. They've got no media darling that Fuji TV is interested in. Mm-hmm. Besides Kai and Mikuda Asakura. So right. they've got to put tension on this card. Now, what do you think about this idea of a uh, one or three, like one <laughs> against three fighters? Um, I'm going to, I love 70s era and 80s era boxing. So I'm going to mm-hmm. date myself. And this, re- the first, my first thought was this reminded me of when the George Foreman fought five people in Montreal in one night. <laughs> they were, as with Muhammad Ali as the commentator, I think they called it the Montreal Five. Right, right, right. And uh, it's kind of a freak show thing where he knocked everybody out, but sure. Uh, it, I think uh, it'll get attention, but I just, I mean, are these people going to try to fight and, or are they just going to try to survive for one round and not get embarrassed on national TV? Mm-hmm. So I'm not a big fan of it just because it seems a little more entertainment focused than. Sport it focus. is entertaining focus, and I think when I heard this one versus three, I think for from Japanese fans' point of view, as you know, there's a lot of pro wrestler fans who watch yeah. this. And back in the days of Antonio Inoki, he had this whole series against him against three guys from Kokusai Pro Wrestling, which yeah. is really well. Uh, they had like Chos- Riki Choshu's retirement, first retirement match was against, against five guys, one versus five. Oh, really? So it is. And as, as a 
child for wrestling fans. I actually went to see all these on live. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I so I think a lot of progressing fans in Japan are like, oh, okay, you know, kind of get into this oh. one, this three kind of mode, you know. Well, I mean, the smart thing about it is it's going to get headlines. It's going to be tensions fighting three men in one yeah. night. So right, right. It'll get a lot of media attention, and I think they kind of had to do something like this because it's so short notice they couldn't get like a legitimate. Person yeah, the fight. yeah, yeah, the legitimate ones. But it's obviously they're going to have a free opponent, which is going to be an all lopsided matchup. Though. Yeah, I mean, which people might like that. But um, I saw that one FC, what Rotatong was calling him out, and some Glory champions are calling him out. But right, right. I don't think I don't think it'll be anyone famous that's of the three. No, exactly, and he he could be end up knocking out all three, right? Which would be awesome. I mean, that'd which be great be awesome. TV. Again, that TV, would be, uh, same as Proresu's Ricky Choshu's retirement match. He yeah. did Ricky Radiato and all these guys on like all five guys kind of stuff, right? So it's like a pro wrestling thing. I just remember when George Foreman did it though, he's kind of ridiculed by people afterwards mm -hmm. as being like, What was that? Like you don't prove anything by knocking out people that don't matter. No. But it's but that's not what Rising cares about. Rising cares about TV ratings. And if this yeah, gets the ratings going, because it's still it's a lifeline for them, right? Yeah. Which television lifeline. Right. And that's why partly to go back to that Sakajiba's video, he went to visit Mr. Steve Aoki and he went to visit that guy Credit, who is yeah. supposedly like a financial advisor or something like that. So I'm hoping because my theory is look at like Invicta to Bellator. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's just better for the rising to get a investors or be under the umbrella of a big media company yeah i was um anything like that because i was actually talking to stuart fulton the mm -hmm. guy the uh former mma fighter commentator yeah. now yeah, yeah, just yeah. telling me about stardom stardom wrestling makes a fortune off of just a subscription-based viewer package like a monthly subscription mm -hmm. he was talking like something crazy i think it was like 80 or 90 percent of their income comes from foreign sources you know that means they have captured a much wider market wider right. audience and i think combat sports has that possibility and right. i've always always tell all the japanese promoters why are you guys are not putting their fights on outside of japan you know streaming yeah. or small cable television it doesn't matter for us get it out there right well i mean it's just like it's free money monthly money for right. you to do what you're normally doing. Exactly. And it, kind of, it gives you more freedom because you're not as beholden to very specific income sources. Sure, exactly. And for example, like, but it's funny that still the Japanese promoters, they have this allergic to to deal with uh, businesses outside of Japan. Yeah. Because of language difference or cultural difference and whatever, so. Yeah, that was, that was surprising. Sakaki uh, Baro said it took him two years to plan the event in Las Vegas. Yeah. Which seemed excessive. <laughs> seemed yeah. Like wow. Well, yeah, exactly, and and that's why I hope like Deep Pancras, Shuto, whatever, all these guys are still putting more contents out to the outside of Japan. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's small or whatever. You know, well, it doesn't even matter. Like if you just region block it and let only the foreign countries watch it, at least the content is yeah. still getting out there. Right, and they will make even though small the licensing fee from those streaming yeah. companies or cable companies and. You know, it's so funny though. I I won't name names here, but I have brought some of the uh, deals from foreign TV stations or streaming companies, and I tried to convince 
Japanese promotions to get this deal done, but they're just not, they're so allergic and they're just, oh, do you think they can issue a Japanese contract? No, they only have English contract. Get, you know, lawyer there, and make sure they check it. But they don't even want to do that. And they feel like it's a license fee. You don't lose your rights of your footage, but they, they feel like they feel invaded, that they, they, they feel that maybe this will yeah. trigger or something, that they will lose the rights of their rivalry. And they think very negative sometimes. Any offers yeah. from outside Japan. And I think that's putting a brakes to potentially they can make more, create the new sources of revenues, right? Oh, yeah. And they can create their main, they can create an entire giant, you know, that dwarfs their main source of revenue. Right. I mean, I really think, honestly, good thing you mentioned stardom. I think stardom and actually Invicta Fighting Champions, those two promotions is the promotions I think all the promoters, small promoters should look into how they, yeah really turn into the successful business. Because, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you right now, because Shannon Knapp, she's very successful. But when she started Invicta, many people in the industry thought it was crazy. That, yes. oh, you never last because you do this in Kansas. And how many tickets are you going to sell? And and honestly, you know, they, they were not, never relied on, you know, ticket sales, obviously, right? I mean, yeah. they were doing a small venue. But they yeah, they had the money to bring in foreign fighters doing legitimate getting visas, which it cost them like a lot of money, you know? Yeah. So the payroll was pretty decent. So it, they never relied on ticket sales. Now, why, how well, they survived, right? You know? Well, it was smart because they made all of their money off of Fight Pass. Exactly. And in the sponsorship, obviously, right? Because, I mean, so what they do, I feel like other promoters might be tempted to, oh, we're a fight promotion, we should do it in Vegas. Whereas Shannon was like, we can get a deal in a very cheap market that's centrally located, so travel's very easy for everybody, and get everything at essentially a very discounted rate. Oh, yeah. And then it's still the same product that's being aired. Right. I think they only did the show in Vegas once, right? Yeah. When and I was just won the title, right. I think that was just because it was part of essentially Fight Week as well. Fight Week, right. So I'm pretty sure UFC helped a lot, right, on that show. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think Shannon was, I think, I, I wish somebody would extensively interview Shannon Knapp and even write a book about how she has built Invicta and successfully sold it to the, you know, the big yeah. company, you know. I think that's the business model that Japanese promoters should really look into because yeah. they cannot be, keep relying on fighters' sell tickets. No. No. I mean, like, I know <laughs> some promoters in Japan, if you, I'm paying you a $2,000 purse, you better be, you know, sell at least two thousand dollars worth of tickets. I mean, like, well, it's just kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's just nuts to me. That's like the opposite. Whereas, like, the successful promotions don't even care about the ticket sales; they care about the lot, the streaming income. Exactly right. So, I, I mean, I wish, I wish things would change. I think promoters start making a different moves. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So now let's talk about this pancreas show you went. Yeah. Yeah. How was it? I mean, in the time of state of emergency, when a lot of shows are postponing, whatever that is, but they went in with the show and tell us how was it? It's great. Um, kind of, it's kind of funny. I actually hadn't been to that train station in like ten years. It was in Shinkiba. Yeah, Shinkiba. Yeah. And I hadn't been there since like Jules' thirteenth reign or something, like <laughs> ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, but, Jules. Yeah, okay. So, uh, but they um. First, let's just start off with their home. That's where they have most of their events. All their Tokyo events, ever since Differ Ariake got destroyed, mm -hmm. are at Studio Coast. And it's kind of like a 
concert venue, like a live dance club. Yeah, I think so. I mean, some of the musician friends of mine told me that's a very known venue for a musician. Yeah. yeah. And it's cool. Um, it's very close to the station. One of the fighters actually had his own food truck there selling food. That's funny. Actually, I've seen that in the Japanese pro wrestling shows, especially yeah. pro wrestling show. Yeah. Well, it seemed like a smart move to me. Mm -hmm. And the venue is cool. I liked it a lot. Like, it's very unique. Mm -hmm. There's a giant disco ball above the cage. They have yeah. like these VIP rooms. That's so a mm -hmm. club. And one of the VIP rooms had a Maeda san in it, like entertaining the VIP ticket holders. Uh huh. And so, Maeda is Maeda? Or? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. uh, he was there because one of his proteges was yeah, Ryo. Right. Actually, right. just passed him. Ryo is one of his proteges. Yeah, yeah, Ryo. Yeah. And um, I believe he's actually, actually made a connection with Pancrase recently. I think where so. they're going to start working together. Mm -hmm. And so he's a huge guy. I didn't realize how big he was. He's huge. He, he's, he's huge. Like, he's six foot five, six foot six, whatever. Yeah, I was like, that is for an old man. That guy is very big. But um, immediate, my immediate thoughts. You can tell that Pancrase has money. They had crane cameras. They had just higher technology stuff than some of the other shows you see. I think Pancras, Mr. Sakai, is well aware of the value of a content, which is the the video library. And mm -hmm. because he's willing to invest on cranes and all this yeah. equipment, I think that's what it is, the bottom line. Yeah, it seems like they're very invested in creating very yes. good filming of the content. Right. Fight-wise, great event. There were a lot of great fights on the card, a bunch mm -hmm. of fights. 20 over 20 fights, I think, on the card. Or mm. uh, and um, yeah, that's a lot of fight. Lot it of was fight. very good. Yeah, and um, it's a lot of veterans, but there were some good up and comers on it too. Mm -hmm. Naughty Date actually picked up. Team Date was there in force. They're like an entire section. There's like 20 of them. Yeah, and that fight, but how was that fight, Naughty Date against Mika? Uh, right? I spoke to her. I spoke to Naughty before the fight. And she seemed kind of nervous because she had never fought like a boxer before. Mm -hmm. And uh, she told me what she was going to do, and it's exactly what she did. She just backed away from her uh -huh. and kicked her, just kicked her. Okay. And Amiko had uh, Amiko had no Amiko had no response to that. She actually hit her with a good uh, good hook kick that busted Amiko's nose open. Blood was pouring out, but I will say she did get punched a couple times. I don't think she took the punches very well, but. She did enough to win the fight. I mean, she pretty much You know, it's you said that she didn't take a punch well, but this is a girl who fought Amy Fujino in the first pro fight, followed yeah. by Mizuki on her second oh, yeah. fight. So, I mean, she, this girl got a heart, I think. <laughs> I mean, she's smart because she developed a game plan that allowed her to beat someone who has much more experience. Mm. And um, so, and then the next event, there's another date girl, Karen Dates, also fighting. So I feel okay. like the dates are in bed with Pancrase now. They've switched from deep to Pancrase. Uh -huh. And they seem to have quite a few supporters there as well. There seem to be, they're like a little entertainment talent group. And yeah, there I mean, are people there to see them. Right. I mean, I, for those who never heard of a team date, like if you're interested in Japanese MMA, I think they should really look into the interview you did with Nori Date. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are, they're, it's a good perspective of something very uniquely Japanese. Very uniquely Japanese. Very. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna share this on the screen just to see that people can see it. But I mean, I'm telling you, 
they are not just uh, fighters. They actually do entertainment gig at some amusement yeah. park and stuff like that. They do sing and dance kind of stuff. And yeah, they all live together in the same environment, you know? And they're, they are in character. Like they will, it's very pro wrestling. They will not break kayfabe. They are in character. So if you ask them, they're all sisters they're and brothers. And they practice the ancient Indian royal martial arts and yoga. And so it's yeah, right. fun and different. Character. Right. But I really think this girl, Nori Date, may have something. You know? Oh, I mean, I cannot imagine what type of training she's doing. Like I mean, with them. <laughs> so with what type of training she's gotten, she's done very well. You saw that video they put up on YouTube, right? That yeah, I mean, oh my, that can't be the serious training. <laughs> and, I mean, she's a kicker. She busted her face open. She was bleeding. She damaged her with kicks. So mm -hmm. she was doing well. And I think the Karen date, who has her fight next or later this month, 2 0. So, I mean, they got a couple of good fighters. Well, obviously, so they're, they're big team. And it seems like you said they have a big supporter. I mean, this means they're selling tickets, right? I mean, oh, yeah. When you walked in, to the venue, there was like four or five Team Date girls camped outside hmm. saying hello to all the people that came to support Team Date. After the fight, they were all at the exit talking to everyone that came to support them. So there yeah, against people it. that came to support them. I'm telling you right now, after I read this interview done by you, and you know, not to be negative here, but there's so many weird shit in combat sports, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The most weird shit I ever read, actually, to tell the truth, you know? And I realized I hope some documentary filmmaker will pick this up. And oh, yeah. this is, could be a Netflix-worthy documentary, I'm telling you, if you can follow these people. Oh, so, I mean, I just remember a couple of years ago where it seemed like it was just every Deep Jewels event was just like, Deep Jewels versus Date Fighters. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's like, what is going on? Right, no, but... Obviously, there's something happened between Deep Jewels and Team Day, so they all left now with the Pancras. Well, I bet Pancras has a... to develop women division, so that kind of makes sense. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, who else That's... was good in this Pancras show? Oh, let me get my notes out. Um, obviously, the main event was awesome. Uh -huh. um, I actually thought Nakajima did very well. Mm -hmm. He lost the fight, but... Before this fight, he went over and actually competed in Russia for a couple matches. Yeah. And his record is super deceptive. Like, you look at his record, you're like, this guy isn't a good fighter. But yeah. he looked very good, very improved. Actually, Nakajima has been a very interesting prospect. I always yeah. had eyes on him. But when he went to Russia, he fought on a different weight class. I think he went up and fought. Right. He yeah. did. But I think it was a very valuable experience for him, just right. going but abroad and fighting. Really funny because I don't know if you realize that, but he's actually outside of Japan, managed by uh, Ruby Entertainment by Daniel Rubinstein. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know him very well, and uh, I, I didn't ask him, but I asked Nakajima's one of the trainers, uh, "Why did you like change the weight class when you fought in Russia?" I mean, obviously you're fighting a tougher and bigger guys, right? And his answer was, "Well, I don't know because that's what, what the management told me." <laughs> told me the only way. I'm like. What do you mean? <laughs> like, don't you discuss? And he's like, well, my management's American, you know? <laughs> so it was weird, you know? But, um, I mean, I almost, I think I was watching it. 
I need to rewatch it, but I was I actually thought Nakajima won the fight. Mm. I thought Isao got some takedowns that didn't do anything with, so I wouldn't have counted those towards him. And so it's a very competitive fight. Both these guys have a ton of fights between them. Yeah, exactly. They're veterans, super yeah. veterans. Actually, Nakajima's been around when while he was yeah. young. That's why he's not old yet, but still had a lot of fights under his belt. But they both look like they're still firing in all cylinders. Mm-hmm. And I think they could both actually fight above Pancras. Mm. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's why I wanted yeah. to get into this next subject. After this fight, a lot of fans are now saying that Isao may be the best and best featherweight in Japan. He looked very and good. And nine rising mm-hmm. and kind of stuff. You know, for oh, North yeah. American fans, I think also fought for Bellator once or twice, right? Didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, I, I think he did. Can't quite remember. But, um, I mean, 20 fights in the events so they kind of all blur together but <laughs> but uh right. he looked very good right so he may be the next one who gets picked up by rising who knows i would say so yeah and especially now that shuto apparently is kind of wanting to be more strict and not share their fighters mm-hmm. um sakai is more i think sakai is smarter and realizes the mutual benefit of getting the media attention by having his fighters fight for rising as well yep i agree and so now, just there's a couple of things about this, though. Uh, I know for the fact PFL really was interested in booking a Japanese fighter this season, which couldn't because there was not many available because pandemic and stuff. And if this continues in the next year, since the pay- PFL does from 145 and up, they may be interested in picking up those fighters here. It's P- so, professional fighting. Is that the end? Is that like the descendant of World Series of Fighting? It is pretty much. I wouldn't say the same thing, but it's almost the same thing, right? I mean, because they they also, I mean, they seem to have interest in Japan because they had that Japan show. Yeah, but that was World Series of Fighting Global. Okay, so that's different. Two different clan. I, I know everything about it, which I shouldn't talk, but it was a different thing. And okay, I thought it. Was, yeah, it was related. Global sort of kind of disappeared. Their backer says, forget it. And, I don't know what happened, and it became PFL. So, I mean, PFL has money. They seem to be paying people quite a bit, so they yeah, can probably lure one of them over. And I think I, I, I think it's their process revealed, right, on some shows. So, yeah, you know, they're making good money. And don't the winners of the tournament get like a million dollars? Yes. So that not may not be a right bad choice, right, for those no. veterans with a li- little bit of too much. Uh, Plus losses on their record so yeah. probably won't get picked up by ufc so pfl can be the good choice for them too that's my immediate thought is a lot of these fighters just have they have like double digit losses which is something ufc would ever be interested in right but and that's just because of the way the japanese fight culture was where you just kept fighting you learned by fighting almost a while ago so right and the uh, losses were essentially sparring sessions Right, and since Nakajima is managed by Danny, who puts a lot of clients into PFL, which could happen, right? So I think this could turn into something interesting. And uh, the, the other fight that I really liked was uh-huh. Tara Matsumoto. Tara Matsumoto. Who did he fight? I, I haven't checked this. Uh, let me see. That's it right there. The one you go down a little bit. Akira. Yes, right here. Ah, all right, Matsumoto Koshi. Yeah, I know him very well. Yeah. He came to New York, and I arranged him to train in Sarah Longo. Yeah, he, I like this fight a lot, too. My barbecue party and backyard kind of stuff. So, yeah, right. he's a solid veteran. Yeah, he's I kind of just ended it disappointedly. Um, it looked like there was a headbutt that stunned Matsumoto, which then mm-hmm. led to a TKO. But mm-hmm. up till then, 
I was very into this fight. You could feel the crowd was very into it too because Akita is kind of like this power puncher. Mm. And I mean, he knocked out Itamura Issei and some other people. So he punches very hard. Yeah. Matsumoto is more of like a tactician. So it's kind of like the classic battle between the guy that could end it in any punch versus the guy who's trying to beat him with tech. And I think, the, side note, Pancrase does open scoring now, which I yeah, didn't yeah, realize. Right. I like it. So the corners yeah. and there's not if you won the round or not, right? So it would I mean each round was a split round. So it was a very close fight and up until the finish. So I enjoyed this fight a lot as well. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Yuki Kondo also fought on the card. That's true, right? He's like, how many fights he had? Like over 100? Oh, my God. I mean, Just get flashbacks of Vanderlei Silva stomping him. But, oh, um, no. Yuki also fought in UFC. He's one and all. I mean, actually, two, one and one. He fought Tito Ortiz in UFC Japan. Yeah, yeah I but Yeah. Unlike Shuto, mm-hmm. to Pancras's credit, they understand that Yuki Kondo is an old man. Mm-hmm. And so they gave him an old man appropriate opponent. And so, yeah, you're comparing this to how Kaoru Uno was masked on Shuto Show? Yeah, it was the, the exact opposite of that matchmaking. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, think, I know Kao. I think he's the type of guy who will not take a fight against the less. Oh, I understand. He always wants to fight the tough guy, challenge for himself, and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. It's kind of the promoter's job to step yeah. in. But I agree. Yes, yeah. Pancras knows how to use Kondo, and he's a long-time Pancras fighter. Oh, right? but, but I mean, I mean, he, he had—he looked like a silver fox in there. He had gray hair up in the, <laughs> up in the cage. No. But I mean, he maybe, maybe—I'm not saying this—but he may be the only one who's been on Pancras monthly payroll ever yeah. since the turn of the uh, beginning of Pancras, almost so, kind of stuff. So, but it, his fight IQ is very high. Very high. But he kind of. Um, doesn't have the athleticism, I'd say, to like finish a fight now. Mm, yeah, no, but it was, I mean, it was kind of interesting to watch. I was just glad that after watching Kitoka get knocked out, Cal Ono get knocked out, mm-hmm. and Boku get knocked out, I didn't have to watch Kondo get knocked out. I'm like tired yeah. of watching the old legends get blasted. Right. Yeah, but uh, again, so Panthers, I mean, they're doing good shows, obviously. And oh, I see this. Says the studio coast turns into Ageha at night. It's actually the yeah. biggest nightclub in Japan. I mean, it looks awesome. They had two VIP rooms. Also, like, I liked it because it created a cool atmosphere for the fights. Like, it felt like you were in a club. The crowd felt very into it. I mean, this is pandemic era Japan, fifty percent capacity, and it looked like it was sold out for fifty percent capacity. So I imagine. When it's not fifty percent, this place is just hopping. Like it is just packed full of people, and they picked, they chose their home venue very wisely. I agree, and they probably did the EOD, right? Obviously, because they're yeah. only doing the show there, and they confirmed so, the dates yearly, right, in the beginning of the year. So I just it just like reeks of like intelligent business decisions to me, which is all Pancrase. It's like it's in Shinkiba. Shinkiba is going to be cheaper than Shinjuku or Shibuya. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of seats. It's a giant club. Right. They're allowed, that, which allows them to sell like cool VIP tickets because you can go sit up in a glass box suite mm-hmm. area and watch the fights. So, well, here is really so. I mean, ever since Sakai san took over Pancras, he was the first one to sign with the UFC Fight Pass. He yeah. was the guy who came from outside the bit, who totally understood, right, the way to make a oh, yeah. 
money. So I think at this point, I have to say Pancras is better than Shuto, obviously. Oh. I know. mean, it's, it's kind of sad, too, because Shuto used to be so highly regarded. Well, it was the dominant figure. Yeah. I mean, it's, especially if when the era when the UFC didn't have anything lighter weight classes, all these guys, even the ATT and, you know, Brazilian top team, they all wanted to fight for Shuto. Everybody. Everybody. Absolutely everybody. Right. And they had the system where they had the good amateur competitions and they had the license mm -hmm. system and made sure they go through those steps to make it to pro. And I think those mm -hmm. systems are great, but it, it's, it's different now. Well, I mean, Sakai comes from the background where he takes failed companies and turns them around. I mean, he mm -hmm. turned that wrestling promotion around before Pancreas. Right. right. And then he sold that. So he knows what he's doing. Right. And I heard his main business is doing very well. So, yeah. yeah so, Hopefully something interesting is going to happen because is this is Pancras still on Fight Pass or are they finished? Uh, they are not on Fight Pass, but right. I believe I heard or read they are currently in negotiations for their international broadcast rights. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And I heard the reason it's not currently happening is because sometimes it's a kind of like a long process where you have to get an offer from them. Then you have to mm -hmm. take that offer to the other company. And then mm -hmm. you have to get the new offer from them and take it to the other company. So it kind of takes a while. But yep. I've heard it is something that they're taking very seriously. Yeah, yeah. I think they may, they're going to make a very interesting business move. And I'm looking forward to hear that announcement, which one yeah. they were going to choose as their outlet, right? And yeah, yeah. let's touch a little bit on this since we were talking about Pancras. This <laughs> Pancras hybrid wrestling in USA did another show. And... The main some founder guy says like, "Wow, I own the Pancras logo," and obviously they're on the Fight Pass, so they don't have a video library. But obviously he was all dead wrong because Pancras do have a video library, so they're negotiating right with uh, another. Yeah, now this Pancras Hybrid Wrestling, they had the second show in U.S. at some yeah, um, open so field in the place, a parking lot to me. But let's just. Time out. Pancreas Hybrid Wrestling apparently yeah. is a wrestling promotion. It looks like a wrestling promotion to me. It's not MMA, okay. which I think is how they're avoiding athletic commissions and things okay. like that. Mm -hmm. It's wrestling, and he appears to be closely affiliated with Manalo Hernandez from. Yeah. Okay, so he seems like a matchmaker. Yeah, from Tenth Planet Jiu Jitsu, yeah. famously the coach of Alima Lee McFarland mm -hmm. and Liz Carmouche, and he's matchmaker slash providing the fighters slash promoter and it's getting to the point where i'm just wondering why he doesn't separate and make his own <laughs> wrestling promotion since he adds everything but um it's kind of funny i was looking at the uspto uh website about this and pancreas now has like a ton of lawyers involved <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, getting, it's getting quite interesting so right. there should be some and, interesting and results by the end of the month when those right, happen and start airing those history of pancreas stuff on outside of japan too right on youtube and stuff like that oh did he yeah they did so i think they're they're really ready to come and explain the pancreas is pancreas we are the pancreas you know i mean just make your own promotion oh wait a minute you tried that and you failed so now right. you're just trying to steal someone else's hard work right and, and the bottom line is i think we should mention that there's already uh, some people who's complaining that they Order and paid for some pancreas rash yeah. guards or shorts from this pancreas hybrid wrestling US, and they haven't received any merchandise. And he so, failed by the tracking number, which makes zero sense to me. 
one of the allegations against this guy from his past, one of the allegations is that he was involved with a The Warriors movie reunion where they took custom orders for jackets. And it is alleged that he took these custom orders for the jackets and then never provided the jackets and just kept the money. Right. And now I have been contacted by somebody who told me that they ordered Pancrase, I believe like shirts or rash guards or something. And this guy just talks in circles. He's like, oh, it's uh, it's in the mail. I shipped it. And the guy's like, oh, okay, when's it coming? He's like, well, it's coming from Pakistan. And he's like, what do you mean it's coming from Pakistan? Well, they're just sending it to me from Pakistan. And then this guy's like, well, I thought you just said you just mailed it to me. He's like, yeah, it just got mailed to me. So he just talks in circles. It makes no sense. So it seems like he may be living up to these allegations that made against him. Uh, I hope he didn't sell so much. I mean, really. I, I did read that post too, and it seems like he's claiming that the sh- that once merchandise gets to the custom, they lose tracking number, which isn't like true. That. That's not how that if that was true, tracking numbers would be worthless. Exactly, no, that's not true at all because I do shipping on international to various countries all the time, yeah. and I yeah. never lose tracking number or merchandise gifts to anything never. So if that was the case, tracking numbers would essentially be worthless. Like exactly. if I and nobody would pay for those extra services for tracking number. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just ordered something from China. My friend is mailing me something from China, and she gave me a tracking number. I mean, so under his logic, I would just know that it left China and never know what happened to it afterwards. It's like, that's like, that's, that'd be the most worthless tracking number ever. Exactly. That's like a typical con, I think. You know, I yeah, hope just, not that many people bought that, you know, really. Well, it appears he's just talking in circles, but yeah. I know. All right, let's not talk about this guy too much. Yeah. Not. Yeah, and let's let's talk about real quick about this Genki Sudo Twitter, which is like could be interesting yeah. because a lot of you know hardcore Japanese MMA fans in the States do remember Mr. Genki Sudo, right? He mm-hmm. fought Mike Brown, Dwayne Ludwig in the UFC. Oh yeah. Now he is a politician in Japan. Yes. Now what is he saying on this Twitter and is he being criticized on some of the things he said? I just wanted to bring this up because I noticed some of the more notable MMA Twitter accounts were kind of like uh, shaking their heads. And Genki Sudo is kind of an interesting politician. He joined, he ran with the backing of, I think the conservative party Mm -hmm. and then never joined that party. He became an independent politician. (laughs) Okay. And now he is kind of being accused of being an anti-vaxxer or something. But I didn't see that in his actual messages. His actual message was um, he was complaining about the shutdown in Tokyo uh-huh. and the, the ban on the sale of alcohol uh-huh. and how there's been no correlation with that Yeah, and the spread of the coronavirus. And I think people were just not wanting to hear that. And so he was getting a lot of negative feedback on Twitter. Yeah, but personally, what he's saying is not, not incorrect. I think he makes sense, actually, to a certain degree. You know? well, I was, I'm always joking with my friends because, you know, the coronavirus doesn't come at The coronavirus only comes out at 9 o'clock. <laughs> that's what Japan, I mean, I just don't understand the idea of a curfew because people are still drinking and stuff. Right. Here. It's just they have to stop at 9. So just. I mean, I but, hate to say this, but they should copy what New York City is doing. You know, like set the strict rules on the restaurant, but they can still serve alcohol. You know, they can still work to like midnight, but make sure, you know, put the stuff between the table or like, you know, get their addresses and phone numbers and make sure they get a temperature, that kind of stuff. I don't know why they don't do that at all. But I mean, 
can't criticize it too much. Japan's had very low. True. I have no idea if this has anything to do with it, but I mean, right. they've had it very low. And the numbers are going to be on the decline again. I actually looked this up beforehand. Earlier in May, is getting close to 1,000 cases a day for a weekly average. Back down, right. back down to 400 right now. Right. So, I so, mean, and it's dropping again. Lower, right? I mean, I keep, look at the death rates more, actually. Oh, the death rates are very low in Japan. Right. Uh, knock on wood, it's very low. But um, so, but they're starting to actually vaccinate people now. So hopefully, this all becomes a thing of the past. Now, are you going to get a vaccinate anytime soon <laughs> in Japan? I mean, my I don't even think I'd be available to get vaccinated until like September or November. So I have plenty of time to make that decision. I mean, if there's a vaccine available, I'll gladly take it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I tell all my clients to take it, and I'm yeah. willing to even bring some of my clients from Japan to New York so they can just take it. You know, so my, I was kind of hoping they send me a business trip to the U.S. so I could just get the Johnson and Johnson while I'm there and fly I'm back. Someone, yeah, and only one shot, and exactly zero problem, no side effect. On the record, three hours after I got a shot, I was drinking beer and sake yeah. and having no problem. <laughs> so. I do, I, I do want to mention some rising tidbits that I've been kind of taking tabs on going into the event. Rising is trying very hard to make this event special. Right. And they're kind of getting screwed over by the coronavirus. Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel sorry for Sakibara. I mean, that's so right. But Sakakibara, I think he hopefully wants to have 10,000 people in attendance. Yes. That's his goal? Around 10,000, yeah. They are going to have a special uh, ring announcer. Mm -hmm. They're bringing a lady over. I forget who it is, but I think she's somehow associated with Pokemon. Mm -hmm. So they're having a famous lady be the ring announcer. Mm -hmm. And if you all remember Shibata, when Shibata uh, came to the ring, he was mm -hmm. surrounded by YouTubers. Right, right, right. And one of the YouTubers was a girl. Her name's Tenchima. Yeah, I think Tenchima. she's a half Chinese, half Japanese, mm -hmm. famous kind of social media person. She, they had rising ring girl auditions. Mm -hmm. She did the audition. She wants to be a ring girl at the event. And she's famous in Japan. She's like a big deal over here. Everyone knows who she is. And then um, they changed the gloves for the event. Tournament gloves are going to be red. And they also changed the rules. They changed right. several of the rules. Strikes to the head. Even 12 to 6. All elbow strikes to the head are allowed. Yeah. And they're going to start vaseline the fighters' faces. Which they fights. Right. Yeah. So... A lot of changes going into the fight, I think, in the event. I think they're doing a lot, pulling out all the steps to try to make it feel special. And, I mean, based off of that last video, it sounds like he's trying to have Steve Aoki like, do a remix of, a so of the theme song mm -hmm. to do for the intermission. I saw that, yeah. Which so I just hope they don't spend the kind of money. Fans, right? Like new fans and new audience from different kind of revenues, you know, angles, which is, makes sense. I think he's trying to to depart from the business model where they relies solely on Fuji television. Well, I, mean, I think they had a big scare with the coronavirus because they had to do that crowdfunding campaign. Right. All their money's coming from Fuji TV. I think they've finally realized they need to create other revenue sources. Yes, good for them, you know? Yeah. And they got the possibility. I mean, it's a combat sports is you can be watching all over the world if you play right. You know? Universal language. Yep. Yeah, just like music in a way, right? Yeah. Speaking, Even, speaking in English, actually, you know? And I think Rising is starting a TikTok account, so, so I'm sure they'll be doing stuff this week to promote the event. I don't do TikTok, so. 
at all. So I, I'm, I'm yeah. really, yeah, I'm, I don't know anything about that. But I guess it's it's just again. To, I think it's almost like if he's capturing audience who actually doesn't even buy TV anymore, right? Oh, like the younger generation yeah. people, they don't buy TV. No. They watch everything on streaming, computer, whatever. So they don't really watch national terror story or broadcasting in Japan, you know? Especially in Japan. I mean, Japan is like the land of like no personal computer, no TV, just have your phone. Right. And especially when you want to dodge the NHA guy trying to break into your house and get you to pay taxes. But that's a Japanese resident problem. Right. <laughs> have you heard of those people? Yeah, I know. I heard, yeah. <laughs> but um, so... I have noticed though. Have you heard that rising? They're not selling tickets currently. No, not anymore. They stopped it at the end of May. Uh, end of May. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were excused. They're already selling the tickets before government announced anything. And also, yeah. baseball team are doing their, you know, putting a crowd in yeah. at the same Tokyo Dome. So, mm-hmm. well, I, mean, I hope they do it twenty-five thousand. Because even though ten thousand people in Dome looks pretty weird, I want. I, mean, I would. I want twenty-five. I think twenty-five thousand is the smallest amount. But they got screwed, but not much can do about it. But uh, June's gonna be a big month. I mean, June we got rise, we got rising, we have deep, deep yep. jewels, pancreas. Big month. Then you, then you have rising again a month later. So yep. I mean June's and big month. That rising Osaka show was sold out so long time ago. And I, I swear I feel like Koji sold like 90% yeah. himself. Oh, I mean, you know. <laughs> my friend was complaining. My friend was saying that like because he would try to buy it when the tickets came on sale. And they're already sold out. And I'm like, did they pre-sold all those tickets? <laughs> 5,000 tickets. Those were oh, gone immediately. They pre-sold, and I actually, even to the fighters, we got the notice from Rising. So, oh, seat A sold out. I'm like, uh, I, we have eight tickets older. What are we going to do kind of stuff? That's what we're actually yeah. dealing with right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But anyway, so let's finish it up because we're in over an hour already. So, yeah. so I guess we talk again in two weeks. Sounds good. Yeah, we can talk about this event. Then we can preview the deep, deep jewels and the upcoming Pancrase show. We have a lot to talk about in two weeks. The uh, lull is dead. Things are back and going. (laughs) All right. So I see you later and have a nice week. Yep. You too. Okay. See you later. See you.